I'm Nicholas Bornois of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you all to Capital Link's fourth Hong Kong Maritime Forum, which we are holding in the context of the Hong Kong Maritime Week. Hong Kong has been uh, a global maritime center for a long time, facilitating trade between East and West and overcoming geopolitical and industry challenges, as well as competition from other maritime hubs. Today's uh, topic of discussion will be on the role of Hong Kong as a maritime center and its prospects and outlook in the context of a fast and I would say dramatically changing world. We are privileged to have with us Hong Kong-based industry leaders who are going to share with us their authoritative insight on the positioning of Hong Kong and its evolution and again, prospects and outlook. The online nature of our forum enables us to address a global audience which exactly uh, is quite interested in the continuing role of Hong Kong as a maritime center, given the fact that Hong Kong has been a major, major maritime hub for a long time. So I would like to thank the panelists for being with us. Uh, I will turn the floor over to Norbert Cray, the Senior Vice President and Regional uh, Manager for Greater China for DNV Maritime. Also Norbert, uh, I would like to thank DNV for being the sponsor of uh, this particular forum. And I would like to turn it over to you and you can introduce the, uh, the panelists. And again, thank you to all. Yeah, thank you so much, Nicolas, for the very nice uh, introduction. And uh, yeah, dear friends of the Capital Link Fora, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of you. And a very warm welcome to our panel on Hong Kong as a global maritime center prospects and outlook. And uh, today I'm very happy to have uh, four top executives and uh, real insiders of the Hong Kong Maritime Cluster in my panel here. And let me briefly introduce the panelists to you. So we have uh, with us James Tong. He is the Managing Director, Head of Global Shipping and Logistics, Asia Pacific and Japan at City Corporate and Investment Banking Asia Pacific. Uh, we have also with us Lian Jun Lee. He is a partner at Reed Smith. Then uh, Wellington Koo, he is executive director of Wallace Steamship, and he's also the chairman of the Hong Kong Ship Owners Association. Last but not the least, Hing Chao, he is the executive chairman of Wakwong Maritime Transport Holdings. Welcome to our panel, gentlemen, and uh, I suggest we simply jump into uh, the first question. Nicholas mentioned that uh, Hong Kong is the super connector between China and the world, and uh, May I start with you, Hing, with the first uh, question on uh, this topic. So the significance of having the forum now is in the context of what is happening globally. The world is entering the post-COVID era at drastically different pace. We experience the energy crisis and the remaking of globalization impacting the role of shipping following the Ukraine war. In the background of all of it, the new political situation China and the underlying tension of the China-US relations. So how does Hong Kong fit into this puzzle, both in terms of relationship between China and the rest of the world, and also in the bigger global context? Thank you, Nobert. First of all, I think Hong Kong's role as China's premier business center 
for offshore activities is well established and will only be enhanced going forward. Um, we were joking before the panel started today that uh, the current COVID policies um, that we see respectively in mainland China and Hong Kong, which are at variance, is a very good indication of how Hong Kong plays into this role as a connector between China and the rest of the world. Today, Hong Kong will have basically no travel restrictions uh, besides a very, very limited uh, three-day bracket where you are free uh, for international travelers to go around Hong Kong and meet clients and have meetings, um, except, you know, there are certain restrictions on public gathering, etc. Whereas in China, a very strict policy is still in place. So I think that is very indicative of how Hong Kong can take a unique position that is in alignment with the rest of the world and using Hong Kong to connect better between China and the rest of the world. Um, to understand better, we have to also understand China's policy of dual circulation. Um, over the last few years, um, the national government has uh, made announcement as to China's dual circulation policy. To those of us not familiar with dual circulation, um, let me elaborate that dual circulation can be conceptualized um, in many different terms. The flow of capital, obviously, is one. The flow of human talents, because as I, as I said, COVID is being one, one case an example, but it's not by any means exhaustive. So for example, uh, tax on personal income, also um, other aspects of travel restrictions or otherwise in Hong Kong and the rest of China are quite different. The flow of information, we know that Hong Kong has access to certain platforms of information where China, mainland China tends to use another. And Hong Kong is a place where these parallel streams in information flow, capital flow, and talent flow really come in together. And all of these together constitute a very unique business environment. So in terms of the relationship that Hong Kong is going to take um, with mainland China and the relationship with the rest of the world, first of all, you know, um, while um, global travelers have by and large not come to Hong Kong or, or much of the mainland over the last two years, significant breakthroughs are being made between Hong Kong and the GBA and Shanghai. So I would say going forward, Hong Kong has become and will become more strategic for China. And through Hong Kong, I believe this will enable businesses to do more in China. At the same time, as China looks to continue to occupy a very important role as a major international player, on the global stage, we see Hong Kong doing more and using China using Hong Kong more as a party to engage with international players. If we just go back to shipping for uh, for the time being, a key example of this is maritime education and training. So China has very unique national policies and restrictions in place as to what the national curriculum for maritime education could look would look like. Hong Kong is very fundamentally different in that, in, in, in so far as our education market is open and that we have international partnerships with the rest of the world. Through the GBA, we believe that such partnerships that Hong Kong construct with international maritime universities can be extended into China. And, and then, of course, there's maritime law, maritime financial services, etc. So this is just a very brief answer to your really laden and complex question. Oh, thank you so much, uh, uh, Hing, and uh, uh, thank you for your insights. And actually, I see also some uh, improvements are happening. I just came over from Shanghai to uh, Hong Kong, and I could already uh, enjoy a zero plus zero, so no more quarantine. And uh, I was basically free from the first second after 
touchdown here in Hong Kong. That's uh, good to the other one, I have to say. And uh, well, let me come to you, Wellington. So uh, direct access to uh, mainland China has been increasingly difficult. Is it easier to access through Hong Kong? And uh, have you uh, seen bigger volumes of trade or business between Hong Kong and mainland China? I, um, hi. Um, I mean, obviously, people would think because with the Hong Kong's uh, uh, central geographic location, you know, um, it would be easy to access China via Hong Kong, but it's not necessarily the case. I think people coming, going from Hong Kong to China is also subject to the same quarantine rules stipulated in China. So it's not like that we have a special uh, preference uh, in when we, we need to, we can work special treatment when we enter China. But, but I think, um, but I think eventually, you know, um, as the COVID, just like any other things, I mean, it will go away one day, hopefully. I mean, I'm pretty sure it will go away or it just quiets down. Then I think things, when things resume normal, I think you will see the bigger, you know, the volume of trade and business will pick up between Hong Kong and China. Right now, it's just kind of being, being affected because of the pandemic. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, so uh, let me come to you, James. The restrictions remains fairly severe in, uh, in mainland China, but they have been relaxing here in, uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, what prospects and uh, opportunities should we expect from Hong Kong once it uh, opened up completely? Money flows without any stopping during the pandemic time. So that is the beauty of that. In fact, if you look at the stock market itself, the market capitalization in Hong Kong, at the end of the October of this year, it's about $26.4 billion. Trillion. It's up about 13%. So you see that although there is a pandemic, there's a lockdown, there's a physical social restriction, money continues to flow in Hong Kong. Reason being, Hong Kong has continued to be the one of the most freest trading city. Money's continued to be free flow. And more investors, in fact, is coming to the stock market because of the trade tension between US and America, the threats of delisting some of the uh, Chinese companies in, in the States, and in fact, encourage them to be listed closer to home. And I think that has already been proven that Hong Kong has no stoppage. There's no disruption in that sense. The investment in technology, online trading, all of these has been quite effective. Um, Probably the concern will be the uh, drain of the uh, uh, um, talents that might appear to be affecting Hong Kong. Having said that, my recent visit to Singapore has also indicated that although they welcome talent, they do not want it to really be flooded with, with, with outsiders that might not help their local economies. So in other words, there might be some company moving their staff there, if they're not truly opening an office, hiring local labor, that might not be the case. In fact, if you see that Hong Kong has been opened up because China has a big population in a sense, so they needed to protect their own citizens. So to, to what, what the other two panelists, Heng and Wellington mentioned, you know, we, we might not have the same uh, quarantine policies, but Hong Kong continue to be trading. So when you mentioned about whether new opportunities, I think that's already proven. Hong Kong continues to have, I haven't heard any banks is closing. So, um, and, 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 and even though um, Hong Kong and China, there is a different uh, 
restriction in terms of the uh, pandemic. Um, other than the physical physic, physical visit, nothing has changed. I don't really see that Hong Kong has changed or worse or better in the sense. It continues to be functioning in the financial world. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, James. And uh, well, Lanjun, nice to see you again. Uh, just some days ago, I was a yep. member of your panel. Now we do it exactly uh, the other way around. So happy to see you in, in my panel today. And uh, let me give you one question there. Where is the One Belt and One Road concept today? And uh, how does Hong Kong fit into this? How can this enhance uh, Hong Kong's positioning as a super connector between China and the rest of the world? Thank you, uh, Norbert. Uh, it's very nice to meet you again at this panel. Um, uh, first of all, um, I would like to thank uh, CapitalLink for their invitation to me to participate in this great panel. I know James Wellington Hing very well. We have been the panel in the past. Um, the One Belt, One Road policy um, has been the Chinese policy since 2014. Um, just early this week, probably you noted, the Indonesian high-speed train uh, completed the test run. This is uh, purely Chinese technology used in Indonesia. So therefore, uh, as far as I'm aware, many projects are still going on for the One Belt, One Road projects. Hong Kong continues to grow insignificantly as one of the leading international financial center shipping uh, and the disputes resolution for one belt, one road project. We, our firms just took over one case, which uh, allegedly to be connected with one belt, one road, but uh, we don't believe that, but still a lot of dispute resolutions have been done or being done in Hong Kong. And um, Hong Kong, I believe, um, still remains uh, as unchanged as a super connector between China and the rest of the world. Like other, uh, my colleagues uh, in this panel said, business is continuing, in particular Hong Kong's position uh, in this kind of environment. And um, um, Hong Kong continues to provide professional financial and legal services for one belt, one road. So what I say is that there's no change for the Hong Kong role. Perhaps Hong Kong will play more important roles in the future. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lanjun, for this uh, very interesting examples and uh insights and uh, maybe we, we come to a second topic we can uh, discuss today a little bit uh, how Hong Kong could uh, facilitate access into Chinese and uh, global resources so uh, Welling let me start with you on this uh, topic you're a uh, Hong Kong based ship owner and the chairman of the Hong Kong Ship Owners Association as such you conduct business globally what are the advantages that Hong Kong provides as an operating base above all how does this facilitate your access to Chinese resources, such as shipyards, crewing, and uh, financing. What about tapping into global resources? Okay, well, I mean, Hong Kong definitely has a good infrastructure. I mean, such as the common law system and the simple tax regime. 
And then we also have a free flow of the capital and information. Um, plus, I mean, we do have a sizable pool of talent, but of course, you know, people come and go. So um, in the past few years, the government has also introduced um, tax concessions, uh, particularly for the maritime industry. So which includes such as uh, marine insurance and ship leasing management, brokerage, et cetera. So I think these are all the initiatives that will attract more stakeholders uh, to, to position or to have their, their, their office in Hong Kong, which is very important. And then second of all, I feel that, I mean, Hong Kong, obviously we have a, a, a large maritime cluster. I mean, we have the fourth largest ship registry in the world. So, and we have a lot of the um, commercial principles, which is key to attract all the relevant um, support, uh, relevant uh, maritime supporting sectors to come to Hong Kong as well. And I think in terms of um, tapping on the resources, I mean, the, with the GBA development plan, I mean, Hong Kong definitely uh, have, have a lot of opportunities. For example, I mean, right now, everyone is talking about going green and going spot, right? So Hong Kong, probably we, we do see some of the Hong Kong companies uh, using Hong Kong to spearhead new marine technologies and ideas uh, utilizing GBA as a springboard to other parts of China and, and, and the global market. So, I mean, for example, I mean, within the GBA, Shenzhen has a, a, a lot of, um, it's very good solid achievements in, in technological uh, aspects. And whereas Guangzhou has, um, has uh, very good established uh, shipyards, for example. Then, then together we can work um, I mean, with the peers, these peers in GBA and then create a new shipping supply uh, chain, for example, for the benefits of the, the whole world global community. And I think as for crewing that, that I think Hing previously mentioned about, I mean, China, obviously, especially GBA, we have a, a big resource of the, the, uh, the crewing and they're really uh, good into the maritime education. So it's definitely always the GBA is always a major source of, you know, seafarers for Hong Kong shipping companies. So, um, I mean, with recent developments, I mean, such as the, the Guangzhou, um, Guangzhou Navigation College, or uh, they will further be upgraded. And then there's also uh, uh, development on the um, uh, marine universities in, in Shenzhen. So I think these are all developments that, that uh, Hong Kong can definitely benefit, you know, from, from these uh, uh, developments. And the I mean, in terms of the, the human uh, man, manpower resources. And as for ship financing, I mean, right now, obviously a key issue uh, in, the, in the sector is talk about the um, the green, you know, green ship financing. And I think, um, which requires a lot of the capital from the, the industry. So, so I think this is a role where Hong Kong with the, the fast experience, you know, in, with the experience in, in, in financing, then we can play a key part into uh, developing it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Benning, uh, for this uh, very interesting uh, information. And uh, Hing, let me come uh, back to you. So how does the uh, Greater Bay Area enhance access into Chinese and uh, global resources? How can uh, international industry participants benefit from the advantages of the Greater Bay Area? And maybe also how 
uh, do the concepts of uh, one country, two systems, and the Greater Bay Area complement each other? We have to understand the outline development plan for the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area, uh, which was announced in February 2019, was fundamentally based on the concept of one country, two systems, and respect um, the one country system in spirit, in legislation, and in practice. Um, without this one country and two system, I would say the GPA vision simply would not work. The idea as it was spelled out in the uh, 2019 announcement was to integrate um, uh, Hong Kong and Macau into China's overall development plan, into its economic policies and commercial and business opportunities. I think this is where a lot of people have focused their attention on. But at the same time, the GBA is not just about integrating Hong Kong and Macau into China, but importantly, also extending the significant international advantages that Hong Kong and Macau have to the mainland and using these places, and in particular Hong Kong, as international springboards for China to connect with the rest of the world. Um, as we know, uh, within the GPA, Hong Kong is being clearly positioned as the leader for international trade, finance, and shipping. And as we speak, as I alluded to earlier, important breakthroughs are being made not maybe at the same pace across the gpa but certainly with certain key cities within the gpa or certain districts even within certain municipalities in the gpa so hong kong has a very close inter uh, interaction discussion and engagement with nansha for example and we see nansha district within guangzhou as being one of the leaders in breaking through some of the existing barriers in terms of personal tax so that there will be a very high level of alignment in terms of taxation um, for professional working in Hong Kong and the GBA, and more in, in this case in Nansha, which will in the longer term facilitate what I, I call the talent flow uh, within the Great Bay Area, and more specifically between Hong Kong and mainland cities. At the same time, in order for the GBA to work, the mechanism for cooperation is paramount, whereas we have heard repeatedly in the news and the media, the GPA, what, what, is, what, what is a GPA? How does it actually work? But it's going to be, you know, the details really in, in, the devil's really in the detail. So at the moment, I would say the industry together with the Hong Kong government is working very hard in constructing a, a mutually beneficial mechanism for cooperation with uh, GPA cities. Um, how to align Hong Kong in terms of taxation, as I said, how to align Hong Kong and mainland uh, cities in terms of the recognition of certification, professional qualification, and overall um, allowing business flow to enhance between Hong Kong and mainland China. So the idea, um, if we put all of this into a nutshell, is how to extend Hong Kong's key advantages and how to extend or reproduce Hong Kong's business environment within the GBA. Um, the last point I want to make is that really Hong Kong is being put into the very hub of such discussions because as China wants to continue to maintain a role as a global uh, trade uh, initiator, um, Hong Kong is really at the forefront of the, this discussion in terms of how to extend the best international practices and how to engage and connect international players with China. So I would say Hong Kong has a very big role to play.
Very good. Thank you so much, uh, Hing. And uh, James, uh, now that the Chinese leasing is uh, slowing down, how does this affect the prospects of Hong Kong as an international financial center for the ship owners? Um, first of all, I'd like to correct the perception that the Chinese leasing company are slowing down. I think physically they might not be visiting uh, traveling. Uh, it doesn't stop them from doing business. I think it's just a perception. And having said that, I believe that the leasing company over the de last decade has already established its um, foothold in the shipping finance sector. And they become more focused on what sort of asset that they are looking, looking um, into. Given the world is also embarking a green journey, ship's technology um, has also developed. Chinese shipyard has also equipped building ships that with uh, efficient EOI operating system while waiting for the scalable green energy. So in other words, um, the shipyard has continued to churn green friendly ships. And that means Financing continue to financing. So the Chinese leasing company continue to conduct the business. Um, one, one example I could share that with you. And uh, that might not be openly discussing about their green initiative, but off the line, they are very interested in providing financing solutions to green assets, uh, wind, wind farms supporting vessels, um, because their network might not be necessarily as broad than the other international bank, but through this interaction with them, working with partners, banks like us, to scout that kind of opportunities. I do think that that is a win-win situation, similar to other financial institutions. I think it really depends on their own capability of putting their green products. Um, another part that we could look at how Hong Kong look into green financing. Um, through the Hong Kong MA, there is a green and sustainable finance cross-agency steering group has been um, formed in 2020. That would include the Securities and Future Commission, uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange Clearing Limited, the Insurance Authority, uh, the MPA, uh, um, Manager Provident um, Fund Schemes. All of these come together to develop the green sustainable financing. So we see that how Hong Kong continued to develop is as a leading hub as a finance sector. sector. And with regard to green shipping, um, I think other part that we could look at is carbon trading. You know, that could be another area that uh, 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 Hong Kong can look at. Um, as Wellington earlier mentioned about the tax concession for shipping leasing company. Um, we also see that many Chinese companies, there was a time I worked in China looking after uh, the, the six, six diversified industries that drives one bell, one road. And those companies have set up their finance uh, subsidiaries or finance holding company in Hong Kong. Why is that? It's closer to home, take advantage of the financing opportunities. These companies have been generating a lot of cash flow themselves too, profit they will also naturally become investors. So all in all, I do believe that shipping is vital to the global economy, particularly after COVID-19 too, it becomes strategically important. 
we might have another pandemic to come, but we don't know. But having through this digitalization, uh, um, e-commerce, shipping, focus of the uh, logistic now, I think all in all, I think shipping will continue to be one of the most important industry in the 21st century. And as I always said that only teleporting, if teleporting can be developed, that will affect shipping. So in other words, financing, providing financing to the shipping industry will continue to develop, continue to evolve. And that including through leasing company, carbon, carbon trading, uh, and on or uh, green financing. So I hope that answers your question, question. Thank you so much, James, and also for correcting me that the financing or the leasing is not uh, really slowing down. So maybe it's not so visible to me, at least right now. Anyway, so uh, we are all uh, in business and not so much uh, politicians, or we are not politicians, but I guess it's also good to talk a little bit at least about uh, geopolitics. And uh, this question actually goes uh, to all of you. So we live in a time where geopolitics play a big role and uh, impacting the economy, global trade, and also the trade patterns. How do you see Hong Kong in the context of the current geopolitical turmoil and the tension between US and uh, China? So whoever likes to start, maybe Lan Jun, you like to start? Um, thank you. Um, I think uh, I have read many talking about Hong Kong's eventually fall as an international financial center. However, it appears it's wrong. And uh, the political situations, of course, we have seen. But Hong Kong, uh, from the insider point of view, it remains um, still uh, the financial center. If I'm right, um, if I'm uh, wrong, uh, James, uh, everyone can correct me. I think the, we are still the third largest US dollar funding center globally and a major profit center for the most profitable U.S. investment and the commercial banks. And it is also leading uh, offshore hub for maritime cross-border use of renminbi. So in shipping, I even shipping has been used in renminbi. And Hong Kong's unique position, uh, as uh, Hing and other speakers already talked about, one country, two systems, serves as really an ideal model to navigate the current uh, geographical or politically uh, landscape and has been emphasized. If you note uh, Chinese President Xu during his visit to Hong Kong for the 25 um, anniversary of Hong Kong SAR, and he said, um, people of Hong Kong will administer Hong Kong's affair. And Hong Kong now has really played a very important role in China, as uh, Hing already mentioned in GBA. I would like to add, uh, Hong Kong lawyers uh, since last year uh, have been allowed to participate uh, in examination to convert or to become a PRC lawyer. And this is second year. And uh, last year, I understand that there were about 500 people passing the exam, and this year similarly. And so Hong Kong lawyers can practice and can enter into partnership with uh, GBA law firms. And uh, the other aspect of developing 
and GBA is if you registered, including foreign companies, Hong Kong companies, in GBA, in particular, Qianghai, the two companies can apply English law, Hong Kong law. This is a big development because in the past, purely domestic Chinese company, if you have matters, you have to apply Chinese law. Now you are allowed to apply English law, Hong Kong law. So that's really good for Hong Kong and Hong Kong will play really great, uh, uh, a big role in the legal professionals in GBA, probably also in the future in Chinese other areas. Thank you. Thank you, Lanjun. Somebody else like to chip in? Maybe I go. Maybe I'll. Oh, oh James, please go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope that's through stat statistics to answer you on political matter. In the most conservative cases, Asia will be subject to three times growth more than of the Western economies. Fortune 500 companies in Asia jumped from 34 in the early 2000. Today, we have 252 combined market capital of about 27 trillion. Uh, Asia Pacific represent 38% of the global billionaires. Almost 90% of the next billion consumers are expected to come in Asia. 28 of the world's mega cities in Asia compared to three in the US and four in Europe. Asia is critically important to multinational companies both in terms of supply chain, as well as the future, the shares of the global sales. Every 11 days, a new unicorn is created in Asia Pacific. I believe that that's also quite a strong evidence saying that the money will go to where it is politically stable. So I assume that the government might have some mishap in terms of lockdown but every country will have polit political matters but look at the economic matters because political do affect people's love i'm seeing all these statistics i think we could see that the world in fact has changed in the last two decades or so when it comes to the uh, world order i think this is something that people might not have prepared itself in the lifetime with such a drastic change because of the accession, uh, 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 since the accession of WO from, from China. So I do think that um, there might be some concern politically how China will be continued to be in the world stage, but I'm very confident that it would only be on the uptrend and benefiting people like us in Asia to continue to increase our wealth and particularly for Hong Kong through the GBA. Wellington, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I was just going, I mean, I totally concur with James. I think, I mean, in history, you know, there's always, we always seems to be living in the time where geopolitics plays a big role, right? I mean, so there's no exception for Hong Kong, be it in past or in the present. So, but I think I would rather look at the other parts of the story, you know, to make, you know, to make the picture more comprehensive. 
I mean, the past few years, despite the pandemic and the geopolitical developments, I mean, the world trade volume, and I mean, and I mean, has been growing. Uh, I mean, I think that that can be backed up by the data. So that means the the you know the the global community, I mean, will, will, I mean, has been relying more heavily on the sea transport, especially with the pandemic. So I think I can only tell you know Hong Kong will continue to have its role as the international finance, shipping, and trade center. So I think that's how I look at it. Thank you. Thank you, Wally. Can you like to chip in something or how is it? Yeah, um, there's not much for me to add after my distinguished <laughs> panelists comments. If I can just say one thing, I would say that despite all the rhetoric that one see on the media and all the political gesturing, um, I agree with my esteemed colleagues that if we look at pure statistics, we see the trade volume between US and China not decreasing, but actually increasing even during this COVID period. So if we compare the statistics over the last year, Actually, um, the the terms of trade between China and and US has grown gone up six point seven percent according to one source. So that is during the the height of COVID in China. So I think this gives us confidence that you know the fundamental global trade, uh, particularly trade relationship between China and US, will remain and possibly strengthen in the foreseeable future because they are natural trade partners in so many ways. And in this context, Hong Kong remains the most favorable ground for such partnership mm. to be continued and for a lot of the really um, useful dialogues to be conducted, not least because of Hong Kong's position as the most significant offshore RMB hub. Very good, thank you, Ping. And, uh... Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, reaffirming and enhancing Hong Kong's uh, competitiveness. And uh, let me start with uh, you, Wellington. As the chairman of the Hong Kong Shipowners Association, what are the main initiatives that are pursued to enhance Hong Kong's competitiveness as a maritime hub? And what are the main topics on the agenda of the Hong Kong Shipowners Association? Um... I mean, obviously, one of the missions, uh, the core mission of HKSOA is to enhance Hong Kong's competitiveness as a leading maritime hub. And what we do is we try to do it, I mean, at all levels, that is in by the local, the national, international level. At the local level, the past years, we have been uh, having a lot of uh, discussions with the Hong Kong government, and they have been adopting uh, many of the suggestions to enhance, for example, the, the service of the, the Hong Kong registry. Um, so I think such as, you know, the initiatives, including setting up dedicated teams in their offices and overseas and mainland uh, to serve Hong Kong registered ships or Hong Kong shipping companies. And then obviously, I mean, after many years of uh, our feedback to the government this year, uh, the new under the new administration, we finally have a bureau purely, I mean, specifically dedicated policy bureau uh, looking after the transport matters, which include the sea transport. So I think this is how what are very important. I, and at the national level, we have filed our network and our liaison uh, with many uh, mainland stakeholders or government uh, regulators and, and authorities. We have been giving them, we have been having a lot of uh, communication to um to explore the possibilities of the various uh, green shipping and smart shipping ideas and in terms of the international level i mean we have always been proud of being the voice of asia and we have maintained our advocacy role on this 
and especially in terms of the regulatory and environmental issues via the different platforms. So I think we would, I mean, going forward, I see ourselves remain to be in the forefront on these like global debates on this that impacts the, the industry. And as for the agenda of the association, um, I think there are a few issues that, that we are looking at. Um, in terms of internationally, obviously, uh, right now, I mean, the, the, the hot regulatory issues such as the greenhouse gas uh, emission reduction, I think we will continue to be engaged in discussion of such topics and hopefully making sure that we can have an input to so that we will result have solutions that are both practicable and practicable. And then at the national level, we would uh, pursue the implementation of several green shipping and smart shipping initiatives in GBA. And local level, obviously, we would uh, continue to discuss, uh, lobby the government um, to seek the further enhancement of the institutional framework, uh, including the maritime and port board, and see how we can uh, uh, do better, do a better job, and play a, a, a and and to so that we can take up the new challenges in a timely uh, manner. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Belling, uh, and. Uh... Well, time is uh, flying uh, quickly, and uh, maybe a final question uh, to you, Hing. So the Hong Kong's recent governmental reform has created a dedicated bureau for transport and uh, shipping. What are the implications of this uh, development? I think to a certain degree, um, Wellington's earlier answer has already covered this question, but if I can just reinforce a couple of points. Firstly, um, it's a major, breakthrough for the Hong Kong government to create a dedicated policy bureau for transportation and shipping. So this development has been long awaited by the industry, something that we have lobbied for for many years, over 10 years, I say, perhaps longer. So it's finally happened and we greet this news with a great deal of enthusiasm and anticipation now that Hong Kong has a dedicated government bureau, hopefully a dedicated professional team will also be put in place to service and help Hong Kong develop a roadmap, a blueprint in this highly competitive space, how to establish Hong Kong, how to play to our strengths, how to enhance our position as a major global maritime hub. But for that to happen, besides the already now existing um, bureau, we believe um, again, that's a point that Wellington has already made, that um, a dedicated a statutory body will need to be made, um, perhaps not dissimilar to what Singapore has. So a maritime and port authority that will allow industry and government to work hand in hand and which will be fully enabled, empowered to carry a lot of the industry wishes and our aspiration into concerted government action. So this is something that we believe should ought to be the next step in terms of the reform in government for transportation and more particularly for shipping. Yeah, very good, uh, Hing. And uh, as I mentioned, the time is really flying by. It was uh, such an uh, interesting and uh, also for me, exciting uh, discussion. And uh, thank you to all you, all of you panelists uh, for your excellent uh, comments, insight, and also uh, contribution. So uh, thank you, James, Lanjun, Hing, and uh, also Wellington for uh, making this panel on Hong Kong as a global maritime center prospect and outlook a real success. Thank you so much for uh, being here today. And uh, now I'd like uh, to give back to you, Nicolas. Thank you.
Well, my role is very easy. All I have to do is uh, thank all of you for uh, a tremendous uh, discussion. And uh, I'm so glad really that the discussion has been so insightful and uh, we had the opportunity to uh, actually address several of the wrong perceptions that uh, have been created. So really this has been so timely, so insightful and so spot on. And uh, thank you very, very much uh, for, uh, for sharing and for being with us. Thank, Thank you very much. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.